Hello once again, and welcome to Political Dharma with Alan Zundell. The musical intro that you heard was from Patty Rose, P-A-T-T-Y-R-O-S-E, and you can find more of his music for your entertainment and enjoyment if you look online for Patty Rose. Today's topic is pictures of socialism, that is, simplified versions of how we can uh, picture getting back to that word, a word picture, simplified word picture of the types of socialism that people usually have in mind, as well as the one I've been trying to present in this series of podcasts, and contrasting them with a simple word picture of capitalism. By picture, I mean breaking something down to its most essential elements for the purposes of simplifying it and comparing it with other possible ways of envisioning the type of political economy we'd want to have in our future. So I'm going to compare these four pictures, one of capitalism and three of different types of socialism, on three aspects, three basic elements of a political economy. The first is investment. For any society, they have to devote some resources to producing things that we need to live. That is, we need to devote a certain amount of land and technology and human labor to growing the food that we eat. We need to devote uh, resources to uh, provide medical services, build hospitals, create medical technology, hire people to, you know, nurses and doctors. Uh, we need to devote resources to building houses, producing clothing, all of that stuff. Who makes the decisions about what resources are going to be invested for what purposes, right? That's one aspect of each of these four pictures I want to get at. The second aspect would be who controls a work enterprise? So if you can delineate a particular uh, job, not a job, but a, a work organization, that is where several people are working together to produce something in particular, one of these resources we need, who gets to control the people doing those jobs? Who has uh, ultimate authority to tell them how they're going to do things and what their rewards are going to be? And finally, the third aspect would be distributing basic necessities to the people within the society. How is that done? So number one, how is it, how are investment decisions made? Number two, who controls the work organization? And number three, how are basic necessities provided for, as well as uh, the beyond the basic necessities, but mostly I'm going to focus on the concern about making sure everybody has enough to survive in a meaningful fashion in the society. All right. So the four different types of visions I'm going to present. One is capitalism. Another one is um, what's often called what Bernie Sanders calls democratic socialism, but it is really I would call it progressivism or social democracy. The third one would be the type of state socialism that people in the United States often picture when they hear the word socialism, that is something like uh, the Soviet Union in its heyday, the USSR, or maybe in China today. And then finally, the kind of market socialism that I've been promoting in this series of podcasts, less known, but I hope this will create a more um, vivid picture in your mind of what I'm aiming at and what I hope to convince you is worth aiming at as well. So first of all, capitalism. 
again, this is a simplified picture, just outlining these three basic aspects. But this would be a vision more in line with, say, 19th century laissez-faire capitalism with very little government intervention or neoliberalism, which we've moved into in the last several decades, where there's less government intervention in the economy in various ways uh, that we think of it, regulations and worker protections and things like that. So the capitalist vision, the decisions about investing resources in production are made by private owners of capital, that is wealth, private individuals who own wealth, they may, in, they may um, pool it in various investment uh, vehicles, uh, you know, like an investment firm or an investment bank. They may pool all the things, but essentially it's private owners devoting their capital to creating a profit. The decision about where resources will be placed is based on the decisions of private actors not public actors, not the government, but private actors who have wealth deciding to, to, to give those resources over to types of productive enterprises that are going to create a profit for them. So that's number one. Number two, who controls the workplace? There, it's obvious. The people who own the capital in a capitalist society, you can own a enterprise, um, whoever has shares of stock in the enterprise, in a sense, has an ownership share, and they elect a board of directors, and the board of directors then controls the workers, tells them what to do, when to do it, decides who to hire, who to fire, all of that. They have control over the workplace. And finally, how are basic needs provided for? Well, people have to buy them in the market. So if you have a wage income, which most people will have in a capitalist economy, you will go out in the market and buy the things you need, food, clothing, whatever. If you don't have enough money for them all, well, you don't get them. Or if you don't have a job, you have to depend on other people. Like maybe your husband has a job or your wife has a job or for children, they depend on their parents, of course. Uh, but if you don't have an income, if nobody in your family has an income, you're out of luck. You end up homeless and begging for things on the street. Um, so it's a market economy. you got to buy things on the market. Now, what are the problems with capitalism here? Let me go steps one, two, three once again. When investment decisions are being made by private actors, primarily for profit, almost entirely for profit, they're, they're going to be compared in terms of how much profit for how much risk you can get from different types of investments. The problem is resources can be misallocated from a social viewpoint. A lot of resources will be devoted to actions, um, work actions, work operations that are actually antisocial in effect. For example, you may see that the production of fossil fuels for energy is very profitable, but at the same time, it is destroying the habitable environment for human beings. So that is an antisocial effect of searching for profits and using profits as the main metric for how resources will be devoted to production. Another example would be something like growing, selling, and marketing tobacco products that cause cancer. So it's detrimental to the health of the public. Tobacco is addictive and can lead to cancer, raises your risk of heart disease, 
and other health problems, not a good use of resources to produce tobacco products from the sake of social well-being, or you know, devoting it to pharmaceutical companies that have uh, business plans which do things like addict people to opioids in order to sell more of them, or buy the patents on life-preserving medications and jack up the price by multiples as they have with insulin or EpiPens to stop, I think it's to stop asthma attacks or when your heart stops because of uh, asthma or allergies. Allergies, that's what it is. In any event, there are a variety of ways that profit should not be the sole uh, motivating decision for the, the, the sole motivation for deciding how to devote resources. Uh, and in a private economy like this, the people who have wealth are not even looking necessarily at what the outcomes are beyond that. They're, they, they put their money into big investment firms and those firms just compare opportunities for investing on the basis and they, and they choose them on the basis of how much profit given a similar amount of risk. So that's antisocial. Workplace, there's conflict, right? If the owners are trying to produce more profit, that is the, the managers of the business are working for the owners, so they're trying to produce more profit, that means often you have to uh, fight with workers who want better benefits, more wages, better working conditions, which may cost you more. So there's gonna be this constant struggle between workers who are wanting more and owners who want more profit. They're struggling over that same piece of pie. Uh, and it's easy to say workers can just, you know, shop around to find better terms, but that's not as easy as said as done for most workers. And finally, um, if you have a, uh, uh, distribution by market wages and capitalist firms are trying to push down wages and benefits. That means you're not going to have as much money to spend on necessities or on other things. You'll have poor people. You'll have a concentration of wealth because people who already have wealth are using it to gain profits. Uh, so poverty, deprivation, um, inequality, all these things come out of the way the capitalist system is organized thus to turn towards socialism. Now, the three different forms of socialism I'm going to go into next. The first is uh, the type of Bernie Sanders democratic socialism that he likes to point to. It would also characterize the New Deal, uh, New Deal liberalism, and a number of democratic socialist governments in Europe. Here, what you have is, number one, investment. Investment decisions are still made by private owners of wealth on the basis of profit, but the government steps in to try to create incentives to lead them to invest in certain things other, rather than other things. So government says, well, it would be socially beneficial to have, um, say, uh, a, in a locality, we need jobs here. So we're going to give tax breaks if a business comes in here. Now, the tax break should enhance the profitability of that corporation, or at least give them more money to work with. Uh, and it will benefit the people in that locality if they got good jobs. That would offset in uh, employment taxes, say the loss in property taxes of the incentive. So the government has different kinds of incentives, subsidies, tax breaks, all kinds of things to try to get private businesses 
to invest in ways that are more socially beneficial. But still, the overall motivation comes from wealthy people looking for profits. Okay. In the area of uh, the workplace, still the control is in the hands of the owners who elect the board, but the government again steps in to make it possible for workers to organize in order to better fight for better wages, better working conditions, and the rest. And of course, here you still have a struggle over things, and maybe the workers have a little bit better opportunity, but it's harder to organize workers than it is to organize capitalists. Essentially, any corporation is a union of capitalists. They incorporate, they become a body by coming all together as, and having a, a single ownership structure, a single structure of control. So they still have the upper hand over workers. So you still have uh, profit as the main incentive. Only government steps in to try to direct uh, how resources are used. And you still have the capitalist owners deciding what happens at the workplace and what workers can do and hiring, firing, all that. But the government tries to step in to make workers get a little better bargaining position. And finally, not only do you have wages and buy the things you need in the market, well, basic provisions are also provided to some extent by the government taxing uh, people who have more and providing things to people who have less, like maybe public housing, maybe food uh, stamps. I, there's a new name for that, SNAP, uh, food benefits, um, unemployment insurance, welfare benefits of different kinds. So there's transfer payments. So it's still the distribution of basic goods is still primarily through wages in the market, but the government steps in to try to help people who are kind of left out in one way or another, don't have access to wages in order to buy the things they need. Now, what's the problem with the progressive vision of socialism, which I wouldn't even call socialism really because it leaves capitalism largely in place. Uh, once again, the incentives are primarily profits. So you still have those skewed incentives to do socially destructive things. And government tries to direct resources to some extent, but it has to forego a lot of tax revenue and there's a lot of imbalances. Um, there's still conflict in the workplace over the share of the pie that workers versus owners gets. And finally, there still be a lot of people left out of the safety net who fall through the cracks and do not have enough to uh, live on, don't have access to the basic necessities, or they are a stigmatized group because they're not living off of wages and working people resent them. They feel like their taxes are supporting people who aren't working. They're also struggling for a living. So there's a lot of resentment for programs that are targeted at specific categories of people on the basis of things like being poor. Why can't you do something for yourself like I did? So there's still a lot of conflict inherent in the system and still a lot of those uh, contradictions and tensions. Now, can we go further? When, when you say that going further towards socialism beyond capitalism, people generally picture something like the Soviet Union. That is, the picture here would be investment decisions are made largely by the state. In theory, there's a uh, party responsible to the whole working class that is determining where resources are best socially used, and then they direct resources towards those purposes, right? So you have government intervening, uh, government just replacing private investments based on profit, 
to make resource allocations based on whatever metrics they determine are beneficial for society. Number two, workplace. Well, socialism is supposed to be aimed at having workers in general control workplaces. And so in a lot of these models, you have things like workers' councils, where in a work organization, the workers have a say in what happens, but still that will be supervised by the state in the name of all the society, of all the working class, in order to do things like um, set production quotas. This fine, you want to organize work the way you want through your workers' council, but still we need to get this much product for these amount of resources we've invested in for the benefit of society as a whole. And finally, basic provisions are provided pretty much directly. The uh, government makes sure everybody is assigned an apartment to live in. You get ration cards of some kind for food and gasoline. And uh, in a variety of ways, there's determination that everybody should have the necessities and that's what the economy is supposedly aimed at. Now, what's the problem with this? Uh, it's obvious. When you give the state that much power over allocation of resources, over control of the um, work organization and over the provision of basic goods, there will be a government bureaucracy that has an awful lot of power to use it for their own advantage, for themselves, their families, their cronies, and against the interest of the members of society that it is ostensibly trying to benefit. So obvious problems there. Uh, in the US, we've had it pounded into us for 100 years. What exactly is wrong with a model like that? And it's not hard to see some of the problems harder to see some of the benefits of it because we're not always presented with the good side of it, which is that most people have the basic necessities, that uh, productive resources are often allocated for things that are actually beneficial to society. And um, workplace, there's still tension there. So that one you don't overcome by replacing a board elected by the um, by the owners of private wealth with some kind of a council that's subject to state direction. So what is the fourth alternative, the one I've been trying to promote? I called it a type of market socialism. Here, the investment decisions would be made by a variety of institutions that collect financial capital and determine where to invest it based on uh, considerations in addition to profitability. So for example, a local or state government could set up a public bank and use tax money to then lend money towards enterprises that are doing something productive for that state. Take again the example of a business to come into an area where there's high unemployment. The state could say, let's direct some resources to funding uh, this business that would set up shop in this particular locality and create jobs for the people there, okay? So public banks and credit unions that um, are go a little beyond the credit unions we have now, they pool money from a variety of depositors and then they use that money to lend to various businesses depending on what the, uh, the, the people who deposit in that institution are looking for. And it may be, again, you deposit money in a professional credit union because you want them to invest in the business that you're working with in, or you know, you want them to invest in my community and in, in creating a hospital for our community here locally 
so they lend money there. The key thing here is, though, that these institutions, whether they be like a mutual fund of bonds or a super credit union of sorts or a public banking system, have more in mind than simply creating profits for owners because there would be no owners in the sense that we had them before. The, the capital would be lent to the enterprise and then they would the enterprise would be obligated to pay it back with interest. And once it's paid off, it's done. So there's no owners, there's no sense that things have to create a profit beyond a market rate of interest. The work enterprise would be controlled by the people who work in it. They elect their board of directors and they determine what the board of directors will make as their uh, priorities. If there's any surplus beyond paying a market wage to all each of the workers in the enterprise, if there's some beyond that, that would have been considered profit for a um, traditional capitalist association, it'd be split among the workers. Okay, and those workers could use those extra funds. They're getting a wage, plus they're getting an extra money, perhaps from their business, kind of like profit sharing. And they would put it into one of their credit unions or some of it would be taxed into the public banking system. And those monies could return, uh, protect the principal for the workers' savings for their, say their old age or to uh, you know, own a house or buy a car or something and to, um, uh, build up savings and to create a little interest for them. So not as much inequality because interest is not the same thing as profit. You know, once the principal's paid back, you don't get any interest. Interest is usually fixed. You know exactly how much you're going to get year by year, as opposed to profits. You're always trying to get as much as possible, squeezing the workers in any way you can. So less inequality, less strife at the workplace because the workers themselves get to determine what how they want to organize their work and uh, how much, you know, so-called profit, how much surplus they want to create in, in contradistinction to what kind of work conditions they, they want to have, whether they're willing to take a cut in pay in order to work less or, or to have a more relaxed environment or something like that. Um, so they, they control the workplace. And finally, how are things provided for? Well, in the model that I would propose and that some other people have talked about, Universal basic income, which would mean that every person gets enough money for the basic necessities of life, and then they go out and buy it in the market. If they have a wage on top of the basic income, which most people who can work would want, because uh, number one, you want more than the basics in life, you want to buy more than that, and number two, most people like to work. If the working conditions were not as unpleasant and onerous as they are under a capitalist ownership, then workers would probably be more inclined to express their creative powers and feel useful in society and feel like they have some status in society by going to work. People like working if it's under the right conditions. And you can see that in the fact that people will work on a variety of projects for free if it's for their own benefit or if it's something they enjoy doing. People have hobbies. They like gardening, farming. They like you know improving their homes. They like home improvement projects. They like um, creating things for creating videos, playing music, all kinds of things people like to do just for the sure joy of creation. Uh, so that would be the hope that we're working that way. So 
the model I'm proposing then would be investment through loans made by various vehicles, public banks, and credit unions of a, of a more general kind and um, mutual funds that are based on lending money. Um, workplace would be run by the workers. And finally, you'd have universal basic income as well as wages in order for people to buy the things they need in life. Okay, so those are the different visions, different pictures. Capitalism in a more raw form, more neoliberal form. Uh, progressivism or social democracy, more along the lines of what Bernie Sanders has been proposing. And the state socialism, which is often used as a boogeyman, but is not the only alternative beyond progressivism. And finally, this type of market socialism that I'm proposing. I hope I've made those differences clear and the problems clear, as well as why I think a type of market socialism, including a universal basic income, could solve the problems of capitalism more successfully than a progressive vision. Now, how do you get there? That's the other thing that I'm not going to talk about today, but I have been talking about, I'm going to talk more about. I think you need a type of political party that adjusts to the um, the specific electoral rules in different jurisdictions. That is, there's openings to do a traditional party thing, get on the ballot and run candidates in some areas of the country. In other areas, it's much more entrenched two-party system. You're better off working to change the voting methods to open it up to various parties or running people as independents. Um, and then there's in between places where, you know, maybe running as an independent or a third party candidate can help in some ways. Um, but essentially what I'm saying is you need to check, change the electoral rules in a lot of place to do traditional electoral activity. And I think electoral activity is very important to propagate this vision of a better social political arrangement to uh, make it known to people and to try to move people toward it. But you need a, a more democratic system that's open to competition so that a party with a different vision has a realistic chance of building support over time without all the um, problems of spoilers and split votes and all that. So democracy, movement toward greater democracy, greater competition, moving away from a two-party system would be an important part of a program, number one. And then there's a variety of ways you can create policies that move closer towards things like public banking, universal basic income, control over the workplace by workers, strengthening labor unions, um, a partial guaranteed income, uh, like a child tax credit or very low basic income to start off with, or pilot programs, or you know public banks that have restricted purposes. But the idea is to build slowly towards that, or at least make the case for it by creating organization that can operate differently in different states, depending on the voting methods, agitate for better voting methods, more democratic processes, and then agitate for movements, steps towards this better future, this better model of the future. And if we go through a crisis period due to climate change or the collapse of the economy or nuclear war, God forbid, or anything like that. If there's a crisis of one kind or another, you need an organization 
that can rebuild on the basis of a better vision. So that would be, you know, another reason for creating a organization around a different vision. I guess that's it for this week. Um, I hope I made those that picture of what I'm aiming at a little clearer in future episodes. I will be talking about, you know, how to create an organization to do these things and also talking a little bit more about the other themes like what spirituality has to do with all this and comparing this version to traditional Marxist ideas that have influenced socialism so much. A, a lot of things I'd like to talk about, practicalities and different policies, all of that. So I hope you come back. Thanks for listening in. You can find my uh, podcast, talk back to me, uh, find my Facebook page, all that if you just go to politicaldharma.com. I'm hoping to do a blog on there. Haven't got to it yet. It's enough work to do these videos for right now. And uh, leave comments for me. If you have ideas, contact me if you'd like to discuss this in a civil manner. Uh, once again, uh, outgoing, we have Patty Rose doing We Little Tot. Patty Rose and Joey Helpish compose this. I see the chains are breaking. We gained our focus. The moves we're making will prove to determine our self-worth as a passenger on this vehicle. Earth.